0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Unleashing Brilliance podcast. I'm your host Janine Garner and I've pulled together some of the greatest minds from around the globe to help inspire you to release your own brilliance into the world. Whether we are talking to entrepreneurs, business owners or just some all-round awesome people, I can guarantee these conversations will help you start thinking about how you can create more impact in the work that you do. A mix of incredible interviews and my own personal musings, join me from wherever you are to begin the journey to unleashing your own brilliance into the world. Hello there, Janine Garner here. How are you all? So excited to be bringing you another episode of the Unleashing Brilliance podcast. And today's guest uh, is Lynn Kazale. Lynn Kazaley is a work futurist, and she describes herself as an expert in the new ways of working. She's also an international keynote speaker an award-winning author, with her ideas and thoughts published in over 10 books. She can to leaders, teams, and businesses, guiding them through their adoption of new and creative ways of working as they respond to changes in work. And this is the very thing that we explored in this conversation. Um I love hearing the backstory uh to Lynn's expertise. Um, you'll find it fascinating when you hear about her childhood and the learnings through that that still continue to play out in the work that she's doing now. And there's absolutely no doubt that Lynn's work in terms of the future of work and navigating and helping leaders navigate the adaptive challenge that we're all facing is so critical right now. Because every single one one of us is facing a significant period of change aren't we you know it's almost as if we're all part of a living and breathing experiment where we're exploring the future of work um, and of how we live and how we work every single day so I invite you to listen in as we discuss Lynn's theory around ish and that maybe uh, if we were to all embrace the ish we might just create a future of work that is more engaging and one that'll we'll see each and every single one of us being able to unleash more of our brilliance. Enjoy. Lynn Kazaley, how awesome <laughs> to finally get you on my podcast. How are you, my lovely?
1: I'm fantastic, thank you. And it's such a pleasure to be here on your podcast. Thank you. I, I was thank actually wondering if,
0: we, I was wondering if we were going to make it because I've been following your uh your latest adventures and uh you've been like out in the middle of nowhere in the outback of of australia living intense. Yes. was it like a six-week yes. road trip that you did
1: it was it was a week and a bit up into the uh, northern part of western australia it's called the Umbulgurry lands and it's only just starting to open up again to white fellas. so We were lucky to travel for a couple of weeks with the traditional owners and, wow, that was eye-opening and uh, culturally, you know, overwhelming at times. So, uh, yeah, and it was hot, hot and sweaty and, yes, camping, tents, dust, but beautiful rock pools with no crocodiles. So loved it. Oh,
0: my God. Just that that term, camping, we were talking off (laughs) air about, you know, come on, seriously, <laughs> a, a, a businesswoman with your your caliber who's been used to traveling first class around the world, camping in the outbox for six weeks. Tell me that you had a few hissy fits because if it would have been me, I'd be like, "No tantrums! I need a shower."
1: <laughs> well, if it was six weeks, we didn't camp every night, so there are some very nice locations. Uh, where the beds are comfortable and there's hot and cold running water and and beautiful meals but when you want to get to some of the most beautiful places that are very remote and difficult to get to then the only way to see them is to be prepared to stay overnight somewhere and have your own supplies so uh, and we do have a shower so we can uh, put the pump into a creek or a Rock pool and uh, rinse off the day's dust. So.
0: <laughs> and I'm imagining you've got a pocket load of amazing photos and memories. Can I yes. only imagine how yes. special some of those experiences? Yeah,
1: are? and and music. You know, we um we were caught a bit because we hadn't downloaded some music, and then we're out in the middle of nowhere with no phone service, so we could only listen to really what had what had previously downloaded, and we ended up with some really wacky, you know, tunes. Johnny Cash, The Essentials album. So we ended up listening to that over and over again. And it's created some great memories and listening to the lyrics of the music. So not what we were planning, but we coped anyway. We coped anyway.
0: Love it. Love it. (laughs) Now uh... (laughs) this podcast is about talking about your trips um as Mm. much as we uh we definitely uh will do that probably off air um let me um let's just introduce you to to our listeners or give them a feel of who you are and uh what it is that you do can you share with our listeners um you know where where are you originally from where where were you born Lynn?
1: Mm. I was born in Melbourne so Melbourne in Melbourne in uh, in Australia and spent a couple of years though living in Singapore in um, at school so as well as having that sort of a strong Australian background I then end up getting teased for having the strong Australian background when you get to an international school. Um, so lovely um, you know childhood holidays and that reflected now in where I like to travel but then also having that that uh, opportunity to have to adapt to a new culture uh, particularly being at school. Yeah
0: it's interesting how some of this is playing out in your work now right? That's Um, right yeah. Can you can you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: Uh, well, my father was a teacher a t- teaching diesel mechanics, and he always brought home, you know, boxes of chalk and lots of lovely paper, and so there was this endless supply of stationery. And I thought, well, I love stationery. I probably need to be a teacher. Um, but apart from that, I didn't. I didn't really know what else I could be. And mm-hmm. and I think that carried on a lot through school. If if I could have my time over again, I would probably be a Uh, an airline pilot or an aircraft engineer. Like I love the mechanics of flight and the flow of air over the wings and the science and physics behind that. But, you know, at the time going, well, stationary, how can I (laughs) bring stationary into my life? What career would let me use stationary every day? (laughs) And so what what did you end up doing? What I ended up doing, finishing uh, secondary school and I went to university and uh, did this very new course and it was called Recreation, uh, a Bachelor of Arts in Recreation. And some of my fellow students went into Phys Ed, they were going to be PE teachers. And I thought, no, I don't really like that, but this recreation thing sounded good. We were supposedly going to have all of this leisure time uh, because of the Industrial Revolution, and therefore we would need lots of recreation officers to help us make use of our leisure time. So it seemed to be this great trend. So I went and did that, but I particularly loved the the subjects around marketing and psychology and social uh, psychology, and then there was a media methods subject where we made stuff. We created films and, and podcasts and slide presentations. So there was a lot of that really nice creative stuff. Uh, I I went and worked in local government putting that recreation stuff into practice and I hated it. Not for me, not for me. So I got out of there as quickly as I could.
0: And so just so our our audience can understand, you know,
1: who you are now, um, what is Mm. it that you do now, Lynn? Now I talk about work and new ways of working, so how we are adapting and changing Uh, in the workplace and I particularly work with leaders. So I I will either be speaking at a conference or leading a workshop or advising an executive or board about their cultural uh, adaptations that they need to make so that they can work in new and better ways. Uh, Just today I was looking at an article about burnout and I was, the, the title I put on it was that burnout's not your fault, it's that work is not designed the right way you know we're not working in the right way that makes work easier for us so that's what I do today is help organizations work in better ways.
0: Love it so before we we, we get into a conversation about that because I think it's so valid right now to talk about um, how the opportunity exists for us to work differently what I'm curious about mm. is when you when you look back at you know, being born in Melbourne and going to school in Singapore, and uh, your father coming home with all that stationery, and thinking about you know being a teacher or doing your recreation, and this drive for for or this love that you have for aircraft. When you think about where you grew up and and the community that you grew up in and what you witnessed and saw, how how do you think that set you up for what you're doing now what what sort of things did you do you remember recall noticing in those in those early years
1: yeah I certainly remember that club environment so we um, sailed um, had a family sailing boat and we sailed on the beautiful Port Phillip Bay here in Melbourne so that community group was just a wonderful part of our growing up for years and years you could just go down to the club and hang out and there were always people there to connect uh, and hang out with so I remember this this sort of strong uh, and ongoing year after year thread of a community and I think it's really interesting now to see how people are working with, you know, communities and tribes and groups and clusters of, of groups and finding special interests because I think they've been there throughout our lives, but we might not have gone ahead and joined anything. So that club uh, environment, I think, gave me the opportunity to join the the youth group. And so I was. it was suggested that I might like to join the youth group which was great fun until it came to presentation night and I had to make a speech. And I was so nervous standing there holding my little piece of paper that I'd written my speech on and the paper is, is you know, it's rattling, <laughs> rattling away with my nerves. Uh, but at the end of that I thought, oh, that's good. I've, I've done the speech. I've mm-hmm. transmitted information and got lots of people coming up afterwards saying, wow, we didn't realise the youth group had done so much during the year. So I think what I found was in this club environment, uh, a a lovely uh, supportive place where you were encouraged and lifted up to try different things, try a bigger boat, try sailing with someone else, try sailing in slightly stronger winds, all of these slightly, slightly more and more tricky, more challenging things without, you know, being dumped over the side to mm. to swim or drown. So that's that's something I really recall strongly through growing up. Great supportive, broader than the family community yeah. environment.
0: So you talk about the the community environment and what you also added there was how that environment created a space where you felt safe enough to try mm something new when you when you look through your career to hear what I've you know seen with you you is this willingness to put content out there to write books to stand on stages to to have an opinion to do things differently do you think that that um you know, have you always been confident to to step out and try stuff, or do you think when you look back, it probably started back in those early days in that safe environment?
1: Yes, I don't think that confidence has always been there, and and there are some days now I still don't I don't feel confident, and then other days I will. Um, but I think it's the school that I was at in Singapore, the United World College was called, of Southeast Asia, an international school. And so I had uh, great, great friends from different countries, a very good friend from Canada, you know, a very good friend from India, a very good friend from Germany. So there was this cultural, um, uh, you know, uh, scarf, I guess, wrapped around me, uh, constantly showing me how to include other people or how to adapt and work with different situations. Mm. And that comes up a lot in the work that I do that there's I'll notice when someone's been excluded or I'll notice when a voice isn't being heard or I'll notice when someone's been silenced and quietened down when they've really got something to say Mm. and I think that international cultural environment growing up uh, and having that experience was was a great one a great one to have
0: so so you're now this Um, seen as a thought leader in this space of new ways of working and what Mm. I witnessed from seeing your evolution particularly on the back of COVID and how you so quickly adapted how you worked is this this incredible ability to um to see what's going on to to have a view Mm. on what you're noticing in the world and then to create something to serve and help others navigate it what where do you think what was the watershed moment lynn for you looking back where you realized that this this was a particular gift of yours this ability to to challenge that the existing status quo of how people thought about work or even if it's you know i love your book i'm a massive fan of uh your book ish i gift gifting it to some of my clients over this next week where you talk about uh the the problem in the pursuit of perfection so so you have this in, incredible knack to challenge where people currently at and, and get get them to think differently where where did you notice that for yourself do you think or what was a watershed moment where you went this this is actually the work I now need to do <laughs> um
1: I think I've uh, I'd studied like that I was probably one of the first students that had a typewriter at high school and I would type up my assignments. And I remember the history teachers writing to me and saying, thank you, I so appreciate that you type this. But she didn't realise how fast I could type and I could collect information from multiple books and sources and quote them and then re rewrite that. So it's it's like I already had that skill somewhere learning it, you know, through school from my mother, who's a great reader, uh, and then for my dad's side of things as an engineer really he he's a Mr fix it he could he could fix anything he would look at what what resources do we have and what could we do with them so if you put that together that's you know that's an environment I've grown up in so if you think the community was safe I could try new things mm-hmm. and then what resources do I have what could I make from that uh, and I think that's the, the more that I have followed my own thinking about what resources do I have, what am I thinking about this, what are my ideas about this, what could I do with those ideas, that's, that's me kind of being misfix it. <laughs> yeah. People experiencing a problem, what do I think about that, do I have something that might help them. Mm,
0: love that. Just, just even love that question of what resources do we have and what can we do with it? I'm curious, mm. um, you know, when we talk about uh, how we need to evolve how we work or think differently about work, and you said there, you know, what, what problems people have now, what do I have? What do you see as the biggest problems right now when it comes to to work when it comes to people engaging in this, in this thing that we call work? What are the biggest challenges out
1: there? I think one of the biggest challenges is our own, who we learned work from. So where did we first start working? Who did we learn that from? And did we learn work in perhaps our early job roles. Did we learn from a leader who was flexible, adaptive, willing to try new things? Or did we learn from a leader or through a system that was very constrained, controlled and unchanging? So depending where we've learned work from, we will have carried those philosophies and behaviours along with us. So we might not realise that there are some other ways that we can do things. I've had some wonderful years working with uh, agile software developers, and I loved hanging out with them. Not that I develop software, and I, I wondered why do I like hanging out with them so much? And it's because mm. they get things done. They try an early version or you know a first draft of some software, and they put it out there uh, using what they've got. Right? They get together, safe group, use what they've got, put it out there and then see what happens. And they're not so precious that they can't take the feedback. In fact, they want the feedback. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I've learned from, you know, hanging around some of those communities, their willingness to try something and then see what happens as a result of trying something. So I've been able to do that myself. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. an interesting idea. Let mm. me put that out there. I wonder what will happen. Mm. Uh, and it's been a great philosophy to follow.
0: So are you inspired to step up, to take massive action in your own business? Maybe you're feeling like the world's best kept secret and a little bit invisible right now. Or maybe you're frustrated at your lack of progress and want to win more at work and succeed more in life. Maybe it's about being ready to welcome more sales and more profit finally into your business. If you're interested in finding out more about my work, check me out on all the usual social platform suspects or email me at support at and let's set up a time to chat about how I can help you. And do you think, you know, in the with the organizations that you're working with right now, do you feel like this is one of the... The opportunities that exist to change the way in which we're working. Do you do you feel that that you know there's a lot of talk around the future of work, the change of work? Um, is it a truth or is it a media <laughs> angle? Do you think we need to change how we work?
1: Yes, I do think we need to change how we work, and we've shown that we can change when it's forced upon us. You know, for for uh, pandemic reasons, we have to have had to adapt how we've worked. And so we've had this rapid change in a very short period of time. Uh, So if you tried to keep that pace of change up, imagine what else you you might be able to adjust. So thinking about, you know, working too many hours or putting what we put too much effort into something, so we call that overworking, that I continue to work on a presentation because I'm trying to make it better and better and better and better, but in fact... The point of making it better was four hours ago and I could have been doing something else in, in the last little while. So I think these problems of overworking and then there's also the problem of reworking. Uh, I, I heard the story of the team who'd been working on a big presentation pack for two weeks and then the team leader came in and said, no, scrap it, let's start again. So this rework, we're going to go right back to the beginning and start again. And that's demoralizing. you know where's where's all of that effort, the meaning, and uh, I guess that opportunity to iterate and improve rather than delete it and and start again because it wasn't good enough, or it didn't meet that person's requirements or they had a better idea. You know these are some of those old controlling ways of working that belong in last century. So yes, work needs to change in lots of different ways and there's plenty of businesses out there leading the way on this we don't have to think that oh this is new and scary and we don't know what to do you know there are plenty of plenty of organizations trying things out and we can learn from their mistakes and their learning experiences uh, to see what might work in our situation
0: I am sure there are lots of people listening to this right now that are going, oh, my gosh, I remember spending <laughs> hours and hours and hours on that presentation and suddenly it's having yes. to be reworked. Um, and you, you shared that the, there's lots of businesses out there changing, changing things up. Have you got any favourite examples that you could share with our audience around, um, you know, how some organisations have changed things up and
1: therefore what they could think about doing? Mm, I think there's a scale of little, little change and little risk through to bigger changes and bigger risks. So little changes could be um, some ideas I've been talking about recently around asynchronous work, that we try not to have so many meetings uh, of doing things at the same time in this controlled way and instead we make some choices about how else we might work Why don't we contribute to a document? You know, you and I are recording this now synchronously, but people who are listening to it are listening to it asynchronously and I've got the beauty of being able to speed it up if they want to and, you know, zip through the content or they can slow it down or they can perhaps read a transcript, you know. So these other ways of working that allow us to get some great productivity and some great, I think, autonomy and... Agency is coming back. So it, it's not the control of the old way of working. It is a greater freedom that people are having about choosing the way in which they would like to work, their preferences for taking in information, their preferences about when they would like to read the transcript, uh, their preferences for who they would like to meet face to face or online in person. So I think that's some of the the smaller, simpler things we can do right up to some of the more dramatic things, which include self-selection, a self-organising group or team, you put your hand up. You say, yes, I want to work on this project with these people. So more organisations are doing that and saying, you put your hand up for the things that you want to work on. Mm. Now, you can imagine that freaks a lot of people out because they say, "No, no, that's not how we work around here. And a simple exercise I did with a group, a clinical health group, uh, We were there was about 100 of us meeting in a um, meeting room, a conference room, and the organisers said, we've put numbers on everybody's name badge to tell them what group to go in. And so I said, well, because we're doing new ways of working today, let's not do the numbers that's controlling. Let's let them self-organise. And the event people are going no no it's going to take too long it won't work I said let's just give it a try so I said get your thumb put it over the number that's on your name badge and now I want you to go and work on work with whoever you'd like or work on one of the maybe fifteen topics that had been posted on the wall and I tell you what that group of one hundred people they organised themselves within in under forty five seconds people knew what they wanted to work on they spotted the topic they stood at that topic and then the groups formed next thing they're sitting on the ground they're sitting at tables they're instantly working without having to be asked and the organizers came up they said we would not have believed that if we hadn't seen that group self organize so I do put that up, that more risky end. It's, it's fun to do when a team's trying out new ways of working. But to do that in day-to-day work, I think we awkwardly, awkwardly ask for volunteers, um, but go another step and get a self-organising team or a self-selecting team. That's That's a really great example to see what projects have got energy around them that people want to, you know, drive forward
0: which is so beautiful because to me that is unleashing brilliance it's you know one of the one of the conversations or many of the conversations i have with organisations are around the fact that that people have more ability more brilliance in them than you're actually allowing right now i get so frustrated when i hear the cost of recruitment and the length of time it takes sometimes to find the next, next best and brightest person for the organization, and then they get put into a box and told to conform. Yes, and I and I think that's you know what I'm seeing right now is um, you, we need everyone to step up. We need everyone to to bring their best to what they do, and yet, irrespective of two years of of lockdown it feels to me that there's this tension and I'm curious to see what your thought is but it it feels like there's this tension going on where there are still many organizations that are going that's not how we work around here Mm -hmm. or they're ticking a box on what they think a new way of working is or should look like and on the other side you've got employees challenging um, is is that something you're seeing in your work that we're almost in this it feels like we're in this massive period of flux and change and it's going to take the 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 bravest and the courage the most courageous to be willing to experiment to almost re reset and rebalance and I'm not sure we're there yet what's what's your view mm-hmm. of what you're seeing and noticing
1: yeah yeah definitely but that people who aren't getting their needs met around flexibility or access or you know timing or ways of working they're going to another organisation that is and there are plenty of businesses who are making these changes now so yes that that sort of recruitment switch of going going where my uniqueness or my flexibility is acknowledged and accepted um, there's a great, uh, I don't know that it's a meme, but a story of a, a guy who was uh, on various work meetings, but he also managed to do the paving in his backyard and just said, this is a perfect example. He's out there, he's talking to us, he's contributing, but he's also putting the bricks down in his backyard God. and it worked for him. Mm. It worked for him. So some of these things seem extreme and, and they are extreme to people who have old ways of working, like drummed into them. So, yeah, there's a lot of that kind of gradual or iterative change that's required, but I think we're also seeing people, you know, that, that sense of people don't leave organisations, they leave leaders, and so they're leaving leaders who are not allowing flexibility. And and I think that capability of facilitation, which I've talked about over a number of years and run some training on, is so needed, is that how do I handle this quite diverse team, you know, a neuro-diverse and a, a gender-diverse, and now I've got work-diverse, that is, they want to work in different ways. How the heck do I lead that and you lead it with a with open palms you know you lead it with a not a clenched fist you lead it with open palms that's a facilitated approach to go hey folks this is what we need to do who's got the strength for this who's got the talent for that how shall we do this together there that's the sort of leadership that's increasingly required in these times
0: but i equally think that's one of those easier said than done uh requirements and I I I think there'll be lots of people listening right now that are going gosh absolutely Lynn couldn't agree more what what advice or what suggestions would you would you share with our listeners who may be trying to create a more facilitated way of leading and yet they feel like they're banging their heads against brick mm. wall. What, what advice would you, you mm. give them to help them navigate uh, this future of work or this new way of working?
1: Mm. I think the facilitator's uh, mantra is good, which is first facilitate thyself, which is instead of trying to work with a group or make a group do something or change a team or change a culture, first look at yourself and go what old ways of working might I be clinging to? Uh, And I was listening to, uh, was it Carolyn Miss, I think one of those slightly more spiritual teachers, but a a podcast the other day that someone said, listen to this, and she was talking about the things we are anchored to. And we are absolutely anchored to some old ways of working, um, like everybody showing up at the same meeting, for example, Uh, but that... I don't necessarily have to wait for someone to tell me that I'm allowed to work in a new way. If I do think I have to wait, then I'm giving up my, you know, agency and my independence. So I can decide to start working in a new way today. I can start working in some new ways. It doesn't have to be radically different. But I can start taking some steps to work in a a new way, me individually first and feel more comfortable and less burnt out and get more things done and make better progress at work so that that is something that i might then be able to share with others or add to the conversation so rather than thinking i have to control the group or lead the group or lead the team first facilitate thyself and and make things easier for yourself uh, before you start trying to make things easier for the whole organisation. Sometimes we want to change the whole culture, um, but we can start with ourselves. We can start with ourselves. And
0: this, this is a sort of wonderful segue into, and I know it's not your latest book. Um, I haven't read your latest book, but um, as I alluded to at the beginning, one of my favourites is your book called Ish, which is all about the perfect uh-huh. for perfection and the life-changing practice of good enough good enough Um, and as you're talking there I'm going I wonder if this is something we've actually got to embrace as part of this future of work piece or working definitely a new way of working um could you can you share from your perspective what why you felt you had to write ish? Why was it such a calling for you to essentially kick perfectionism in the butt? Because I know <laughs> a lot of my a lot of my clients, perfectionism is the very thing that stops them from unleashing their brilliance. So I'd love to hear or I'd love you to share from your perspective why we've yes. got to embrace the ish.
1: I think we need to embrace the ish. Uh, which came from I mentioned working with software developers and agile and there's some broad principles for working in agile ways but what I noticed were people were wanting to really stick quite precisely to them and so I said how about if we were a bit agile-ish so that's one of my earlier books which is talking generally about cultural change and as I was writing that I got pretty excited one day I went hang on hang on I'm onto something here. This is this is a lifelong practice. This is a daily practice. This is how you can live-ish, which means somewhat, to some extent, near enough. You know, we, we say it in conversation, you know, what time do you want to meet? Oh, six-ish. Or what do you feel like for dinner? Oh, I don't know, something noodle-ish. Uh, so it's not necessarily a concept I've created, but it's a it's an actual thing. It's an actual thing to ish something. And we see it in culture and movies and hear it in songs. And so you can choose to ish the things that can be ished. Now I don't want a dentist who ishes. Right? <laughs> I, want, <laughs> I want, you know, I want a surgeon who doesn't ish, and I want I want those sorts of people going not, not going for perfection, but going for excellence. But let them ish on the things they want to ish on that really don't have a big impact on the end result. And so once I started exploring that, going, wow, my life has been a whole range of ishes and people don't even know. Most people don't know when you're ishing, um, but it gives you greater freedom, greater agency over your own decisions and, of course, you make greater progress on things. And absolutely smacks procrastination in the chops right it really it really decks procrastination because uh procrastination perfectionism so tied up with each other
0: oh and (laughs) right now and we're all trying to navigate and work out what next looks like i think perfection is the very Mm. we're living a a living breathing experiment right now i'm curious yeah can you share one of your ish projects where you one of my
1: ish projects. Yeah,
0: when you like, you realised that you were going to go to market with something, and as a result of not perfecting it, it then
1: became mm. something
0: even better. Have you got an example of where you've done that in your Ooh. own work?
1: Well, I think one of the very first things I did when starting a business when you needed business cards, and I went down to the local shopping mall, and they had a little printer kiosk uh, unoccupied so self-service and I put eight dollars in and typed in my name (laughs) and it spat out 20 little cards and to me that was the sign Woo! I'm in business right the card says so and from there I iterated I then yes got something professionally designed and then I just went on and on and on but it was those first ones that to see your name on a card. And I think this happens with websites now. We can see our name on the website or on the blog and it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be a page. Bang, it's out there. It's live and I can improve it over time. And that's what we do. We just keep improving the thing over time. And I love seeing, for example, uh, you know, the, the original homepage of Amazon that the very first version it's hilarious it's this clunky looking page you can't imagine that it could be the organization it is today and that's where we start we start things somewhere and it's over time we we make lots of iterative uh, improvements and we allow those first things to be imperfect it's near enough ish it'll do
0: it's ish it'll do (laughs) Lynn you you Mm. You travel the world uh, talking about new ways of working. You work with, mm. you know, leaders of some of our best organisations around the world. Um, what is your wish? What what keeps you going? Why, where does this passion come from?
1: Mm, what keeps me going? Oh. I think we suffer a lot. We suffer a lot at our own hands, but also at the hands of structures and constraints that other people have put in place and so I'm I hope that I'm helping to slowly dismantle some of those structures that have been making work you know not a nice thing to do I know I've certainly had what do they call them the Sunday scaries the night before you have to go to work and then having Mondayitis I don't want to go to work and that's often because of the way we have to work and who we're working with. Mm. So if I could help reduce or remove the Sunday scaries and make Monday-itis, as I've advised to some of my mentoring clients, you know what, why don't you give yourself Monday for yourself? Like who says you have to work on Monday? Be Monday and make it your amazing day of joy and excitement, and start on Tuesday or start Monday afternoon. You know, there's. So I hope that I help people think about uh, reworking some of the structures that then make people's lives uh, more enjoyable, more flexible, and more suited to their needs and the way that they like to achieve things.
0: I love that, and that's exactly what you're doing with your books, your work, your speaking, the (laughs) mentoring, the programs that you run uh, with so many leaders that are jumping in, uh, wanting to rework the rules. Um, Lynn, I have no doubt there are people listening to this that are going, I want more. How do I get a copy of that book? How can I talk to her? What what is the best way for people to uh, find out a little bit more about you and how you work?
1: Yes, for sure. Come to my website, com. There's plenty of uh, my thinking there and uh, I run free masterclasses each month on whatever one of my book topics. They're all connected. And uh, I also publish prolifically on LinkedIn. So you can connect with me there and read uh, and I share a newsletter each week on LinkedIn with uh, the, the articles and information that I'm kind of curating, a bit like a gallery, if I put together a gallery of future of work thinking, uh, I'll share that uh, in places like that. So happy to hear from people and uh, and connect with them.
0: Well, I think your work is the very thing that matters right now when we are all navigating this significant period of change where all of us have got so much more to offer and yet we're living in a period of a huge, we're almost a living, breathing experiment right now where
1: mm. I don't think any mm. of us
0: have got it perfect yet, Uh, we're all being a little bit ish um but we we embrace the ish maybe we'll create a future of work that that we are a new way of working that is much more engaging and uh, much more about unleashing the brilliance in in all of us um lynn i'll make sure to include your details in the in the show notes um thank you for the work that you do thank you for continuing to challenge and input into my work. I think your work is phenomenal. You are a thought leader in this space and I've got so much respect for the work that you do. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the
1: podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Janine. So lovely to hear those sorts of uh, sorts of things. Thanks, Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I hope you have new ideas on how to step into your own brilliance after listening today. For those of you who don't know, My Own Brilliance is helping businesswomen embrace their brilliance to achieve greater profits, align with their purpose and create greater impact through their business. I've helped thousands of businesswomen leverage their networks, build rock solid business plans and break through the glass ceiling to become 7 figure business owners and beyond. If you're looking to take your business to the next level and have been feeling stuck or are frustrated that it's been taking forever, then shoot me a message today as I'd love to help you. You can email me directly at support at or find me on any of my social media platforms listed in the show notes below. Until next time, have an absolutely fabulous day.